What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, facing a flurry. The Canadians and Golden Knights feel each other out in Game 1. What are the takeaways from their semifinal opener as we try to determine what value means in that series? A look ahead to tonight's Game 2 in Tampa with a big money line move. The home teams win in drastically different ways in the NBA, but what does that mean for their series prices? Euro 2020 keeps on rolling. Ted Ballantyne is back to look at the second legs of group play this week as we try to keep the good bets coming on the pitch. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Let's start it off with, you know, the NHL last night. And I'm out there, uh, back out on the limb, right, with Montreal. Um, I talked to last week about being on the NHL.com podcast, their Fantasy on Ice podcast. And of course, they tweet out, you know, a clip of me talking about, you know, just the idea of goaltending and Vegas, you know, getting through in part because certainly in game six, when Grubauer wasn't very good for the Colorado Avalanche, right? And so the idea being like, are they going to get those same type of goals against Carey Price? Like that seems unlikely, but you know, could happen, could happen either way. It's hockey, you know, the stuff that we talk about on the regular, on on the regular here, you know, just the idea that like, you know, a lot of these games could kind of go either way. Right. And when we're talking about price and I don't mean carry, I mean, pricing these games from a betting standpoint. And I realize that's a fantasy podcast. And now, you know, the line between fantasy and betting is sort of getting a little bit more blurred these days. But, you know, the people who are listening to that and, and, you know, catching that clip, you know, like, yeah, okay, They're like, yeah, Vegas in four, Vegas in five, like Vegas is going to win tonight, blah, blah, blah. But like the point isn't that, you know, is Vegas going to win or Vegas going to lose? We talk all the time. Like I would pick Vegas to win the series. I think Vegas is the better team, but like we're talking about betting here. And if you're willing to lay minus 500 on the Vegas Golden Knights, like show me the tickets. You know what I mean? Like if you're making these picks on Twitter as if like I'm going to see that and be like you're hired, get come handicap for me. Like that's not <laughs> really uh, a realistic thing here, right? Like yes, everybody could say Vegas and you're going to be right a lot of the time, right? And I said, like if I picked Vegas or if I bet on Vegas even at that price minus 500, which you know is upwards over 80% win probability, if I make that bet and I win, like we'll never know whether I was right or wrong about it being an 80% or a 60% type of thing, right? And so if I think that Vegas winning this series 60 to 65% of the time is an appropriate price, I'm not going to bet them to do it at a price that's asking me to do so at 80% of the time. Like it just doesn't make any sense. So anyway, so, you know, I'm watching this game and I'm like, okay, like, let's see how this goes, right? And the first period comes out and Montreal is awesome in the first period, right? Like they're all over Vegas, Marc-Andre Fleury, right? Like the bad news is as good as Connor Hellebuck is, right? Marc-Andre Fleury is the guy in this game who the Jets fans think that Connor Hellebuck should be right? He's the guy holding down the fort in that first period. And so as I'm watching the game and it goes on and then, you know, the first period is one nothing Vegas because a point shot goes in, right? And literally two on the nose from the clip that uh, the Fantasy on Ice guys used, but that we've talked about at length, right? Like, you know, if you shoot from the point and it goes in, like, that's not really a goal that should necessarily go in. And so Vegas gets one in the first period. A first period that, from an analytical standpoint, probably should have been one nothing Montreal. I know the moneypuck.com guys had Montreal at, like, 72% of deserving to win the first period based on how the first period was played. And if that's the case, then, yeah, it probably should be one nothing to Montreal. No, it wasn't, right? It's one nothing Vegas. So that's a pretty big, you know, sort of switch when it comes to sitting there at the intermission, either being up or down one to nothing. Then, you know, they trade goals later on, but again, another point shot that finds its way through. And so, you know, Vegas is doing good work to get those shots off. And those are sort of analytically predictable. If one team has better possession and more shots on goal than the other team has, right? If you spend more time in your offensive zone than than you allow then you're more likely to get those point shots through to a goal. But two periods into that game, the shots are 
you know, pretty much identical around, you know, sort of 18, 18, 20 to 18 type of a thing, right? So, you know, and you watch the chances that Montreal got in the first period, and just none of those happened to go in the net. So I'm sitting there, I'm going like, okay, well, how is this going to shake down from an expected goals for standpoint? Because, you know, Montreal, I think, certainly was a better team in the first period. Vegas, probably the better team in the third period. But again, looking up at that score at 3-1 to one and then eventually 4-1, to one, you know, can be misleading or it can certainly make you believe that one team is playing better than the other is because the expectation of the team being down is that like they need to press, they need to get back in the game. And if they are not doing it, if it is just sort of an evenly played kind of 50-50 type game, then it's always going to feel worse for the team that's down, right? It's going to feel like they're not doing anything. Whereas if it was just an, you know, a scoreless game or a tie game, then it's just going to feel like a tie game where both teams are kind of just doing the same stuff, right? Like they are playing pretty equally. So I was inter interested, excuse me, to see, you know, okay, well, like what's, what are the metrics going to look like from this game, right? Like there's one thing sort of watching it from an eye test standpoint and having, having that score, you know, it kind of affect the way that you perceive the game to have gone. But we know intellectually, okay, there was two point shot and low danger chance goals. There was one that was frankly just an outstanding play with the fake slap shot. I don't even know if I've ever even seen a guy fake a slap shot like that where he brings it all the way down to slap the ice and then finds his guy. You know, I'm looking at it and I'm just going, okay, like that was really like the one high quality chance there for Vegas that they converted, I should say. I mean, obviously they had a ton of chances. So we go and we wait and we, you know, I like to wait till the end of the game to sort of look at this stuff because, you know, it does, you know, get populated throughout the game and can be somewhat useful theoretically from a live betting standpoint. But I'm like, let's wait and see. Well, after the game, Montreal 1.94 expected goals for at even strength. Vegas 1.9 expected goals for at even strength. Vegas with 10 to 8 in the high danger chances. So again, right around the same number, right around the average, right? You'd expect, you know, every, any team, you know, the average is about 8. If, if you're the home team, you're probably expecting to have a, one or two more than that. Uh, I think Montreal having 8 is certainly a lot better than a lot of their other games, especially against Toronto earlier this playoff series or season. So Vegas converts one out of the 10. That was the fake slap shot, you know, one timer into the empty net, which like Carey Price almost made that save. And so as much as we complain about like the two goals that, you know, were shot in from the point and listen, the one deflection that was like a double deflection and kudos to Janmark for having his stick where it needed to be. But I'm not sure he actually saw that puck hit his stick. Like he was in place. He was like the old table hockey game where like the guys just got a stick on the ice. Like you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to have it there in case it, the puck hits you. And it'd be one thing if the shot from the point was actually a pass to the side of the net, but it wasn't. It was a deflection off a guy's shin pad that just happened to you know and again this stuff's happening so quickly like you can't you can't uh reflex that deflection in right you just have to be there positionally so again credit to him for being there positionally but you know again that puck could go a variety of different ways and vegas gets a lot of credit rightly so for the amount of shots that they block whereas montreal's trying to block that shot right so they're doing what they're supposed to do and it just happens to deflect off the side of a shin pad if you will and go directly onto the guy's stick who's you know was boxed out and made a great nice play great play is probably a stretch but it made a nice play to sort of pivot off of the defenseman and get himself in position to get hit by the puck but fundamentally that's still a really sort of fortunate goal that went down so you know from a game planning standpoint here i think it's really interesting to see more than those point shots is Vegas's attempt to go side to side on Carey Price, right? Take advantage of him coming out to try to shut down the angle, which is what Price was able to do against the Jets and the Leafs, where he would challenge the shooters, the shooters would just bury it right into him, and they wouldn't go laterally from a passing standpoint. And Vegas sort of had the practice of trying that against Colorado, a team who loves to go lateral to try to get that open net one-timer. And so you could see Vegas doing that a lot, and Carey Price was making a lot of those saves, which, you know, again, you could trade in. If he doesn't make those two, certainly there was at least two, but two of those incredibly difficult lateral saves, and then you know, they don't get the point shot, the score still probably ends up four to one from that standpoint. So, you know, I guess the Vegas, the takeaway is that the Vegas's, the Vegas's, the Golden Knights high danger chances were like extreme quality, 
right? They had two of the best high danger chances that you'll ever see not getting converted. So that would be sort of a one asterisk takeaway to the idea that this game was really evenly played. And so when you go 1.94 to 1.9 expected goals for even strength, right? We can round that up. I think, let's be fair, round it up to both teams at 1.9. So each team's expected to get two goals at even strength based on how they played, right? Well, Vegas gets four out of their two expected goals. And Montreal gets zero out of their two expected goals, right? Montreal gets their one goal on a power play. So if, I all, if the expected goals were true goals and each team had two goals at even strength, the Montreal's power play goal, in theory would be the difference and they would win this game three to two. And so all of this is relevant. Not to say that Montreal should have won the game necessarily, but when we're talking about minus 270 game prices, right? And minus 500 series prices. And the first game of the series is going to be 1.9 to 1.9. You can't make that bet. You cannot make the bet, you know, with a straight face on Vegas. Now again, Maybe this ends up being the exact same thing, right? 1.9, 1.9, all the way through the, the series. And maybe because Vegas is more patient and they create the better of the high danger chance goals with their lateral passing, I'd like to think Montreal could make an adjustment on this. And maybe that adjustment is Carey Price has to stay back further in his net. And maybe that leads to something negative, um, you know, for straighter, you know, straight on type shots. Who knows? But the point is, is that when we're talking about 80% type prices here, when we're talking 50% of the expected goals for at even strength for one team or the other, like it just doesn't make any sense. So again, I think just value play wise, like Montreal is just going to be that team that you just have to keep, you know, kind of backing here. And so as we go forward in this series, you know, Vegas has the one nothing lead, but what's changed from a series standpoint? Not really all that much, right? Like ideally you would think that Montreal would get one of the two in Vegas. If not, you know, they go down 0-2 and they head home. Well, hopefully they can get a couple home games as well. But these prices now change, right? And I don't mean just the series price, which is now plus 750 available. If you want to get even spicier, as mentioned, minus one and a half is now 16 to one that Montreal wins this in five or six games, which again, pretty wildly unlikely. I understand that. But really the important thing I think to look at here is Montreal plus two and a half or the over five and a half games for this series. And right now with Vegas being up, you know, with one game in their pocket here, I think over five and a half is probably a better bet at plus 125 odds. And also Montreal plus one and a half at plus 190, right? It's not that much drastically different from, um, you know, before the series started where we talked yesterday about the idea of, okay, that basically means getting to game six and then having a money line that is going to be better at home uh, for Montreal, then plus 190. So either of those sort of derivatives, I think, you know, have increased value because nothing has changed from the likelihood, really, of those getting there. Obviously, if Montreal had won the first game, that would drastically change the likelihood of those getting there. But, you know, again, with Montreal losing it, it doesn't really change all, all that much, and it gets you a better price. So if you held off and you're like, you know what, I you know, I get it. I get the value sort of concept here, but I'd like to see a game being played because of the uncertainty of not knowing what the difference is between these divisions, what the difference is between these two teams. But again, if we don't look at the scoreboard and we look at everything else that happened in that game, there really isn't that much of a difference. And it's sort of how we thought it would be, given the fact that these are two NHL teams. And this isn't that much of a difference than Minnesota versus Vegas, right? A series that went seven games. So that's how I play with that going forward. Obviously, we'll talk a little bit more about game two tomorrow. Uh, Islanders in Tampa Bay go tonight. And listen, we saw a two-to-one game in that game uh, in game one at 1.86 to 1.62 expected goals for uh, five on five and a nine to eight high danger chance discre discrepancy. Does that sound familiar? Right? Sounds pretty familiar to me. It sounds a lot like last night's game from a metric standpoint. So we're looking essentially here at four teams who actually may be pretty evenly matched. And, you know, that means something when we are not evenly matching them or coming anywhere near evenly matching them when it comes to their series price. So as mentioned yesterday, um, minus 190 was the line for this game with Tampa Bay. Talked about how my new number was minus 200. And sure enough, between now and then, and it's why we talked about it yesterday, it's why we're getting sort of two days ahead of ourselves with these games. Number's now up 
minus 200, a little bit higher than that. Cool bet right now still has it in the minus 180s for Tampa Bay. We talked yesterday about the stats of, you know, 10 straight wins after a loss in the playoffs. And John Cooper came out and he said, you know what, we just kind of weren't in it mentally. And, you know, maybe he's making an excuse necessarily, but I don't think the defending Stanley Cup champions, a team, the quality of Tampa Bay, who everybody's sort of afraid of here, after one game, you're all of a sudden just going to write them off because, you know, again, it's a game one against a series where, you know, they beat that team last year. And that game one probably means a lot more to the Islanders than it does to the Lightning. And, and while we can sort of sort of brush all that stuff off narrative-wise, you know, a lot of that, not a lot of that means all that much, but just fundamentally, like, you know, Islanders are a pretty good team. And this whole, like, concept and, you know, I hear, like, people got to stop, like, oh, underrating the Islanders. It's like nobody's underrating the Islanders, right? Like, you are now actually underrating the Lightning. And just because the Lightning are favorites, still favorites, you know, barely in the series or favorites in game two, like, you're pretty drastically underrating the Lightning, who have done nothing but be awesome, basically, for the last, what, three, four, even five years. So, like, who's more insane? The person now underrating the Lightning because they lost one game two to one, or the person who's underrating the Islanders, who, again, from a metric standpoint, just keep pulling this stuff off. And, like, that's great if you're backing the underdog, and, like, that's why... People like the Islanders because they're cashing at these prices, and that's certainly what we took advantage of in the first round. You know, pretty clearly stayed away in the second round. Um, you know, so it's like, I, I just don't understand, like, why one team needs to be just absolutely like, uh, oh, nobody believed in them. It's like, oh, no. You know, if you wanted to make them plus 350 the way that you made Montreal plus 350, I would have definitely believed you know, in the Islanders. And it's not like I don't believe, we're just betting here. And that's what people, I think, forget. Like, we're just betting, right? This isn't a referendum on this team being bad, this team being good, unless it's the Winnipeg Jets, in which case that team sucks. Um, but <laughs> Making friends in Manitoba. Um, but, you know, like, we're just making bets here. We're just crunching numbers and making bets. And if you want to price the Islanders, you know, better than that, like, you're giving them enough credit. Everybody's giving them enough credit. The market's giving them enough credit. And they just happen to win a game here. So I think Tampa Bay wins tonight. Hopefully you grab the minus 190. And I say that sort of, you know, hopefully they win. And then we can actually verify that it's hopeful. Um, as for the NBA, Philadelphia and Atlanta last night, we talked about how, like, this idea, okay, what are we going to do here? Talk with Sheldon. Like, are we just sticking with the series price here with the Sixers because we were worried about the, you know, the killer instinct of the Sixers. And, you know, that actually turned out to be a pretty good strategy because the Sixers dominate all throughout that game through three quarters. And then it falls apart in the fourth quarter. You know, a lot of people blaming Joel Embiid. He goes 0 for 12. Certainly makes a ton of sense to blame somebody who goes 0 for 12, uh, you know, as they're trying to close out, you know, effectively close out this series. Because now game five, even at 2-2, Philadelphia is minus seven on, you know, on the spread. So if this was a three to one series, it's probably looking closer to like seven and a half or eight and a half, but Atlanta has that big fourth quarter. And honestly, like that's nice to see from just a basketball standpoint, right? Like good for them, right? Like they got, they got the home win. It would have sucked for Atlanta to not get that. Now the bad news is for Philly is that if they're going to win this series, they're going to have to do it either in game seven or with a win against Atlanta in Atlanta which isn't exactly um, an ideal circumstance given how close they were to being up three to one with a home game to close it out. But right, like that's the Sixers, right? Clippers East, like that's the kind of stuff that they're going to have to deal with. Now, again, they're the better team here and they very well might win the next two games and they might win them handily. But I think, you know, we talked about going into the, what, game three in Atlanta, the idea of like, okay, Atlanta's probably should win one of the next two. Uh, I would theoretically bet them in game three if I didn't have anything else. And, you know, it would have been that situation where we lost that and then we would have come back and bet on them again in game four and probably, you know, would be looking back and going like, yeah, we kind of got lucky for even getting that second game. So, you know, I think we're playing this series pretty well as far as getting that price with Philadelphia and just kind of rolling with that going forward. Because again, even in a now three game series coming off of a Hawks win, Philadelphia is still like minus 300 to win this series. And it's interesting to see like from a, you know, we talked about it with Brooklyn and Milwaukee, right? Like the adjustment of the point spread. So Atlanta goes from, you know, sort of a one point underdog all the way up to a three point underdog. And again, that looked very reasonable as they're getting blown out early on through much of the game by the Sixers. And so, 
you know, now that it gets adjusted to three in the same way, like uh, Milwaukee was minus three and a half, that gets adjusted to two in favor of Brooklyn. And, you know, that over adjustment just, I mean, doesn't end up mattering from a, um, you know, value standpoint or like it didn't matter from a result standpoint, but like it just goes to show like the overreactions that we have in these, in, in some of these games. Now in other games, right, like the Clippers win big and the number doesn't change all that much or, you know, Utah and the Clippers, like the number didn't change from really all that much from game one to game two. And I think moved like a half point, but you see some of these others really, really adjust off of kind of nothing. Now we've got Brooklyn and Milwaukee tonight, which we'll talk about in a second here, but like, you know, Utah and the Clippers, right? We're going back to game six here. And, you know, again, from the standpoint that we talked with Sheldon yesterday about, okay, what do we do here? Do we bet the Clippers minus four and a half, minus five? We didn't want to do that. Sure enough, they end up winning comfortably and covering that game anyway. But, you know, pressing our series bet here was really more the strategy. And now they get that win. And now they're plus 105 here. And, you know, a couple of different things. One, I think that's still actually a pretty good price on the Clippers because I think they can win in Utah. And I think they're certainly going to. But now we look at game five and it's plus 125 on the money line. I think I'm more apt to just sort of take that because I think if the Clippers win this series, I think it's because they win, they get the game five in Utah having, you know, whatever adjustments that they've made or, or you know, on all of that sort of, you know, handicapping sort of, you know, sometimes relevant, sometimes not relevant stuff. You know, I just think like, okay, if Utah wins this game tonight and now we're going, or tomorrow night, I should say, and we're going back you know, at best case scenario for the Clippers for a game seven in Utah, like that's going to be way less ideal or way less likely that the Clippers win that game after losing another one in Utah, right? I think it's just a better bet to just take them on the money line at plus 125 tomorrow night. But as for tonight, no bet for tonight in this Milwaukee-Brooklyn game. This thing's up to four. Harden and Irving, you know, officially out a lot of people just going like, oh, series, series is over. But like, I just don't trust the Milwaukee Bucks here. Uh, again, not betting Brooklyn. I'm not, you know, trying to hedge. I'm not trying to find a middle here at a plus four or do anything along those lines. Again, I'm just going to sit there with my arms crossed, angry, <laughs> hate watching this game, um, and just hope that the Bucks can somehow prove i mean i don't even are we proving anything just proving that they're not complete losers <laughs> frankly because like you know kevin durant is awesome but like he should not be able to win this game on his own he just shouldn't right and like as much as we like kevin durant as a player here you know we've seen the history of kevin durant right he needs another guy and this is sort of that one opportunity for him without that other guy but you know, it feels like a bonus if he would end up winning, you know, this game and this series without those other guys, right? Because Giannis isn't doing it without the other guys. Um, you know, no players these days in the NBA are doing it without the other guys. So uh, no play for Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Kind of, a, kind of a key game when it comes to all of the series and futures prices that we outlined before uh, this series started. And believe me, if this works out well, I will be the first to admit that this will be a lucky victory. We don't get those all that often, so we can admit them when we do. And, you know, the whole it all evens out at some point. We would put that in our win column. But again, that needs to happen tonight. And by the way, as much as everybody sort of feels like it's a lock, right? Like that Milwaukee's going to win and win this series. It's still just a four-point spread, right? It's still just four. It's not like it's eight and a half. It's not like it's ten. It is still just four. Uh, as for some soccer, we got to talk about that. Good news is we've got the guy to bring in to have that discussion with. Today's 2020, Euro 2020 look ahead. We go a little deeper with our guy who, if you go back to last week's preview show, slayed set of games and what we should be expecting. It's Tuesdays with Ted. Ted Ballantyne, what's happening, my man? Not too much, brother. How you doing, Rusty? Uh, good. Excited for the game today. Uh, big game today. If you're a hardcore immediate listener of this show, it might be kicking off any minute now. Uh, I've got Germany Moneyline. I'm doing it. Germany Moneyline plus 180. I'm worried about this sort of gravitational pull of a draw here because, you know, as excited as we are about this game, potentially, you know, like if they both just get a point out of it, not the end of the world for either team. So uh, what are you looking at for this game? 
Honestly, and that's the thing. Like, uh, like two teams this good are. It's likely going to be a little cagey, no matter what. Even if it starts out fairly open, there could be some back and forth to start things off. Like, just just traditionally how these things go, and then they kind of settle uh, into a real kind of cagey, careful, uh, risk managing groove. And that's why draws are always going to become popular. And I might even lean that way. I haven't made my play on this one just yet, even though we're just hours away. And this is. Because both of them know, and they're both great teams, that a loss is more harmful than a win is beneficial, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, yep. a, uh, especially in a group uh, as strong as the group that they're in, a loss really could be it. Uh, whereas a draw um, obviously isn't as good as the three points, but you can still kind of be on uh, a, a comfort cruise control especially with three teams possibly getting through. So that's why the, that's why the draw always becomes so much popular. But the more popular a draw becomes, the better value you then have on a team possibly winning. And you're going to take Germany yeah. at a plus 180 money line. Uh, this is going to be one of the few times a century where you're going to get the Germany money line at plus 180. Exactly. So, so I, I certainly would not blame you for taking that. And God, while it goes against everything we're saying, France, I haven't seen the exact line this morning, probably has some good value on the money line as well. So well, it's it just, yeah. Like round 180 on either side, which is tell, telling uh, about your draw, your draw comment. Yeah. And, and I'll probably go when I do make a play, I'll probably, I'll probably go on a, on a draw, no bet play somewhere. Um, I would likely lean towards Germany as well. Uh, even, you know, goodness gracious, France is obviously quite good in the in the favorite in many people's eyes. But if there's a little bit better value with Germany, if my mind's thinking draw, then that's the direction you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm a little bit worried about like a one one or even even a scoreless draw in, in theory. I suppose if they're if they're super cagey. Uh, cagey, by the way, one of my favorite terms uh, that we dust off here every couple of years. At least I dust off every couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we don't need to go sort of game by game of the past here because we'll touch on pretty much all of these teams here as we talk about the second lap of of pool play, of group play here. But any team from the first games uh, that surprised you in, you know, in that, you know, on the positive side or in the negative side? I mean, you're pretty bang on with a lot of your interpretations of how these teams are going to play. But was there anybody who was doing anything out of the ordinary in your mind? Uh, I'll tell you one where I, I don't ever want to describe myself as, as necessarily being bang on, but the, the rhythm of the game went as expected, but woof, Spain, um, goodness gracious. You, yeah. you can look at the silver lining if you want to in that game, um, but but Sweden looked about as bad as we predicted, yet somehow um, probably had better scoring chances than Spain uh, yeah. with, with, the, with the very few opportunities that they created. But Spain, Dios mio, they're, they're, it's a team that's just, it's full of genies and nobody out there wants to rub the lamp. It's, uh, they have to find someone <laughs> or a way to score because they, they had possession and they looked as they always yeah. do. They looked beautiful with it. It was a gorgeous game until they get into those final moments. And yeah, that, that Swedish keeper, this Olsen cat was very good. He made some good saves, but um, uh, Spain certainly didn't finish to the level that they should or have to even marginal poor finishing uh, with yeah. the amount of chances that they really created should have been enough. But that was, that was troubling to watch. Cause I, I really thought they were going to be a team that would surprise people, score some goals. Those dudes we talked about, whether it's Ferran Torres or Danny Almo, uh, they, they all looked really good, but uh, of our Morada up front could not come close to a proper finish. And it's, it's, it's the worst. Cause he was getting into great spots all game. Couldn't yeah. finish. So Spain, not being able to finish is problematic. You could also look at that and say, well, are they going to play that well and not score um, for the next two games? And and I think regular logic would be like, you're probably right. There's going to be a mean that they kind of progress to and get some goals. Yeah. But at the same time, they showed no signs of we're going to figure this out, given 90 minutes of having the ball the whole time. So, so that yeah. was something I didn't expect. And that was a little problematic, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that that game up, and and it, it is you're right on with sort of where I'm going with it for once we get around to their their next game. But it was literally like watching a team who, who was getting like a bonus if they could get as close to possibly scoring without actually scoring, right? As if like if there were no goal, they would just run right up to the goal line, put their foot on top of the ball on the goal line, and then just walk away, right? Like scooping your putt. 
um, if you you know if you're three inches short of uh, of making a birdie. Um, just ridiculous, just completely and utterly ridiculous. And, you know, I had, you know, we had Sweden clean sheet or like to get, you know, shut out, if you will. So we cashed that bet. And as we talked about in the preview, 20 to one to score fewest goals. But I also have them to finish last in the group. And it was like all of, you know, the first part worked out to not scoring any of the goals. And, you know, Spain for, you know, in hockey terms felt like they were on a power play the entire time and just couldn't score. And so somehow Sweden gets a point out of it and you're sitting there going like, oh man, like that's going to kind of maybe potentially ruin them to finish in last place uh, in the group. Because again, through sort of no credit to Sweden, really, like they didn't do anything other than just kind of not get scored on. Like you said, the goaltender, like he made a couple of saves, but it wasn't like he was making out ups left right and center so uh let's go let's go game by game here um starting with tomorrow's stuff obviously we just talked about germany and france and a little too late to talk about hungary and portugal uh finland russia but for me here i'm looking at kind of an under type situation here for that game russia another team that we sort of didn't expect to score any goals or or i've certainly bet 20 to 1 for them to be the lowest scoring team nothing that happened against belgium would sort of dissuade me from thinking that that's a pretty good bet at at this point and because finland got those three points you know fortunately for them it kind of tells me like you know they don't really need to do anything in this next game like this kind of has like a zero zero type thing a nil nil if you will type thing written all over it is that you know how do you sort of feel about that line of thinking I think I think zero zero could be because I, I think Russia is going to have trouble scoring. Finland showed they can be really organized in defense. They can kind of you know build that wall or park that bus, whatever you want to call it, back in their own third and really make it difficult for teams to to unlock and crack what they're doing defensively. Um, but again, whether one believes in such things or not, for Finland playing Russia, um, they're going to be up for that game. The people of Finland are yeah. not going to be okay with let's let's you know let's settle for a nil nil draw because a nil nil draw for Finland at this point is probably going to get them through. Um, yeah, fin- Finland's going to want to go out there and they're probably going to want to try to win that game. Now I'm not saying they're going to go balls to the wall. They don't have the talent to do that necessarily, uh, but they're definitely going to have a strategy set up to to counterattack. And Russia, who's going to have more skill than Finland, but not necessarily better finishing. Um, they're going to be possibly vulnerable to a counterattack. So uh, I wouldn't mind a play on Finland. And also, listen, mm. if, if you want to kind of, if you want to wrap your hearts around a team, if you want one of those Icelandic Cinderella runs through the tournament, Finland's pretty much the team that, that's positioned there right now. We'll, uh, you'll listen to this after Hungary plays Portugal. So maybe Hungary is going to be in that same boat where they could be that team. But right now, um, Finland is the team that's positioned. Uh, they're positioned really well. Uh, with the couple yeah. games they have left. And uh, I really think that that this Russian game is going to be one that they're not going to just settle for a draw. They they are going to try to win it, probably on the counter. And I think they can. Again, I don't, I don't see much in this Russian team. And I don't think Russia is going to play a really defensive style that they would need to. So uh, I don't mind a, a play on Finland in that one. So Finland outright is plus 500. The double chance, right? Finland in the draw is plus 120. Like, those are pretty good numbers for, you know, fading a team in Russia that, again, we haven't thought all that highly of or we didn't think all that highly of going into the first game. And nothing that happened in that first game would, you know, dissuade us from that feeling. So, yeah, I kind of I kind of might be there with you. And that's, a, and that's a big change from the 500 to the 120, right? So, obviously, bookmakers are out there. They're eyeing a draw. Uh, the same way we were talking about with this this France Germany game, but uh, it would be flyer. You know, I wouldn't throw too many units out there, but I, I'll probably sure. go with the Finland outright in that one, um, just because that's one of these plus five hundred. So I think is is okay. you know a live doggy. Okay, plus two seventy five in the draw, no bet as well. So sort of you know kind of a half. Okay, no, in, I thought I thought you said I said a plus one twenty, a plus two seventy five. Then then yeah, that's a good play as well. Uh, that you know over the plus five hundred, I'll probably start to lean to and and maybe play a little bit more than I would have on that five hundred. Yeah, the plus one twenty was double chance, so you win on the draw. Which again, if 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 Finland does sort of end up having to settle for the draw, which again, like you said, if they're not in the next in the next round already, that certainly I think would clinch it for them. Uh, next, 
and Wales here. Here's my thoughts. Um, we were on the draw no bet for Wales in that first game. Um, felt pretty fortunate to get that t- draw and have that bet refunded. Um, Turkey gets worked over by Italy, but we think Italy has a chance to win the tournament, right? Like we have bet Italy futures for them to win the tournament. So if Italy's good, I'm not going to beat up Turkey too much for losing to Italy. Whereas Wales has probably got the best absolute result they possibly could have from that game against Switzerland. So I think that's creating some value on Turkey here on the money line at plus 137. So I think I'm looking to play Turkey on the money line here. What do you think? Yeah, if, if those first games hadn't happened, then I think the, the, the Turkey value wouldn't be quite that good. I think Turkey, um, like, I think people are unwilling to say they're necessarily, you know, good, but they should right. probably be um, contending for second spot in that group. And, you know, uh, the first games aside, I think plus 137 on Turkey over Wales um, is is a exceptionally smart and good play. So I'm with you. I think Turkey bounces back a little bit in this one. They're never going to do anything that blows you away. But I do think they come out on top over Wales, unfortunately, even though it's fun to see Wales. But they honestly, um, that first game, they got out of it with a draw, but they, they didn't show much either, right? And that was one no. of those opening kind of um, slow, careful games. But yeah, I didn't see much from Wales to think that they're going to be able to do anything close to what Italy did. And Turkey just isn't as bad as they looked. Again, like you mentioned, they were playing a really good team. And uh, I think, goodness, and even with an own goal, it was, it was a, I don't think that the scoreline really did them justice. I think you're right. Plus 137 no. Turkey money line sounds pretty good to me. Okay, uh, then the last game in, on that, what, Wednesday, Italy and Switzerland here. Um, you know, my takeaway from our conversation was, you know, you mentioning that Italy is going to score more goals and be a little bit more offensive than people think, right? So we played the over two and a half in that first game. And sure enough, they took care of it on their own here. Uh, it, you know, how does Switzerland compare to Turkey in that, you know, I would be looking again to go over on Italy here because I don't really want to take a side. Minus 175 for Italy seems a little high for me, especially since Italy has sort of the comfort of already having three points and still having that matchup with Wales, the bottom team in that group. Like, there isn't necessarily urgency to win the game here for Italy. They also might just be so good that they will win the game. So I don't know that I want anything to do with Switzerland in any sort of form or fashion. So at over two and a half plus 120, I'm kind of looking at that and going like, all right, is Italy this team that they are going to keep scoring, you know, these goals? Uh, but, you know, is Switzerland that much more of a defensive team than Turkey? Or, or should we keep trying here with an over two and a half? Now, remember, of course, that doesn't just mean it's Italy that has to score all three. They just happened to do that in the previous game. This could easily be two to one and we would still cash. Um, so over two and a half plus 120, your thoughts? I think the over in that one's the play. I think you're right. Um, in Switzerland is not, well, should not be better than Turkey defensively. Um, so Switzerland really, they, and they're not an offensive team either, but they're more of a solid all around team, right? And they're mm-hmm. not like if Turkey was going to beat Italy, Turkey was going to beat Italy probably one nothing. Uh, Switzerland, they have it in them to win a two one. And uh, I think they're going to go out there and I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to sit back the entire time. I don't think they're going to let Italy just come right at them. Um, I think it's, it's going to be a little back and forth. And I just think Italy obviously has more quality. I think Italy wins the game. And I think over two and a half goals is probably about right. Cause Switzerland, especially depending on how that Welsh game goes, um, they could be in a spot where they need to win. Uh, yeah. So they, they, they could be out there really, really needing those three points and they don't want to have to play Turkey needing to get three points. So uh, Switzerland is going to go through for the win. Don't think it's going to work. And I do think they're going to score over the two and a half. So I like that play. Yeah. And, and you sort of alluded to something too. And it's the reason why we're not going to get into sort of the third lap of games here today, because so much can happen that affects what's going to happen in those last games, right? Like we just talked about the idea of, you know, Turkey and Switzerland, potentially having this matchup and you know if one team just needs a draw like if turkey just needs a draw and they're already sort of a defensive in and of you know their general nature like that's going to be a different handicap than if you know they need to win or you know whatever whatever so um okay yeah over two and a half i think i'm gonna make that play then if uh if you're not throwing your 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 body in front of that train um ukraine and north macedonia going on thursday a.m 
Uh, I've got a couple of different things here. One, it didn't really feel like Ukraine was all that interested in playing defense uh, against the Netherlands. That was our <laughs> maybe um, our biggest disappointment in uh, on Sunday. Sunday was really our only bad day so far, um, having a lot of sort of one goal loss type things. Uh, North Macedonia, you know, I was on them, sort of a draw, no bet, double chance type thing, hopefully, hoping really for a draw and maybe they pull something off. And it's 1-1 at halftime against Austria. And then that falls apart in the second half. So both teams sort of fall apart defensively in the second half so i'm sort of leaning a couple of different ways one over two and a half certainly looks interesting to me if the ukraine is just going to be like you know what let's just play some wild wild and crazy games um i also have ukraine halftime full time at plus 150 so essentially they get out to a lead this time and they hold that lead and win the game um so sort of two you know, one's a even money plus plus money play, but two plus money plays here. Which would you go with the Ukraine to score and you know take that early lead and hang on to it, uh, and maybe sort of even you know expand it, or would you just say go with the over, or would you not do either of those things because you think I'm way off on uh, on my <laughs> well, your logic makes sense, but as soon as we start talking about taking multiple overs, then you know uh, it's uh, alarm bells start to ring in my head because it just doesn't happen all that like it, it's been, they aren't out there scoring three goals a game all that often and the odds usually you know uh, go along with that but it's your logic here is right and that's listen ukraine lost three two and that was i talked about a couple score lines that weren't flattering to a team i think that three two loss was flattering to ukraine they really looked uh, worse than i thought they would for almost all the game they had a really explosive five minute period there um and you see how that works in soccer where goodness gracious, it's just sometimes it just hits and you click, you get two goals in five minutes and you go to the rest of the tournament without a goal. But I think it made Ukraine look better. I think they're, they're clearly vulnerable. So I think they get scored on by anybody. North Macedonia, how fun are these guys? They didn't come out playing like little minnows. They, they came out like they belonged, right? Like they, they, they weren't just playing some, some, some sit back defense as if we have significantly less talent than everyone. They, they may, they do have less talent, but they're going out there to try the win. I don't mind your overplay. I do hesitate to make too many overplays. Your logic there is correct to counter that. Like, I don't think those two goals Ukraine scored necessarily show how good offensively they are. Uh, I think it's entirely possible that those other 85 minutes of the game are more Ukraine where they just can't really score. So I think there's going to be chances going back and forth in this one just to count on that many goals going in with two teams that their quality is lacking. Ukraine's more than I thought it would be. That's going to be tough to get to that many goals. But again, if you want to play the odds and be like, are there going to be chances going back and forth? Absolutely cross your fingers that three goals end up going in because it's entirely possible. I don't know if I'm going to touch that over under because this game could get sloppy and weird and you don't know what the heck is going to happen, but everything you said from a logic standpoint totally makes sense. Yeah. And the halftime full-time thing was really more just like, if we think that Ukraine was good, you know, and, and listen, we did, right? Like we were sort of like throwing Ukraine in as like a long shot, like semifinalist type team, and, you know, whatever, maybe it was just a bad game. You know, if we think that they're well, good, keep in there mind, should be some urgency, right? Like, there should be Keep in mind, they were, playing, they were playing the Netherlands, who are good, right? Like, I probably undersold mm-hmm. the, the Netherlands in our conversation last time. Um, and well, uh, the, the Netherlands came out, and they played, they, they, they played like a big monster team with tons of talent. Uh, giving up those two goals is problematic. But again, like the, the one was on a set piece that was, you know, and that can just kind of happen. There could have been a defensive gaffe in there or not. But Ukraine just, they disappointed me probably because I like them so much. I still think <laughs> they'll win this game. I think North Macedonia is probably not going to look as good in this one, uh, e- even though they didn't play a, a crappy team in their first game. But I, okay. I think Ukraine comes out. I think Ukraine wins this one. I still think Ukraine gets through. Um, but just whether or not they're going to get, because Ukraine, they don't want to be out there in a bunch of 3-2 games. That's not yeah. how they're getting through. So they got to okay. show a little more organization, and maybe it was just that that Dutch talent. Uh, that okay. kind of undid them and made them look as... And honestly, when a team comes back from two goals and they give up a goal to the other team so quickly, it's just disheartening to watch. And it really yeah. impacts um, how you view them. And yeah. I'm being sure. unfair when I say that, when I talk about Ukraine's quality not being as good as I thought. 
they could very well come out and stomp North Macedonia. And I don't think it's going to be a full stomping. I think Ukraine's got it. I just get uncomfortable when we start talking about over, over, over in all these games. No, fair enough. Um, Okay, so the next one is just a full-on awkward conversation, right? Denmark and Belgium. And, you know, you get into the whole, like, narrative handicapping concept where it's like, okay, like Denmark, you know, win one for the Gipper type of situation here. Or you get into the, well, like, they couldn't pull it together and who could have, um, you know, after the restart of the game on Saturday. So there's a couple of different ways that you could go if you wanted to make a case either for or against Denmark, but they're facing Belgium here. And, you know, I was sort of kicking around the idea of Spain or Belgium as my team to score a lot of goals, right. To lead this tournament from a team standpoint in goals. And, you know, it's through one game, but boy, am I glad that I picked Belgium over Spain watching them finish um, the other day. So, I mean, for me, it's just, okay, I'm getting Belgium at even money here to win this game. The only thing that I know for sure is that Christian Eriksen, you know, isn't going to play in this game, which in and of itself is not good. His ability and, you know, not being in the lineup is the only thing that we can sort of count on um, having an effect, right? All the other stuff is sort of, you know, nonsense or, 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 or theory. Um, So, you know, I'm, and maybe it's because I feel good because I grabbed Belgium um, at essentially the same price against Russia in, and even though this crazy steam on Russia, uh, moving that price closer and closer uh, towards Russia. But, you know, I'm just going to take Belgium he- here and, you know, kind of just hope for the best, even though it's like an uncomfortable thing, because I think everybody kind of would like to see Denmark bounce back after after what we saw on Saturday. For sure. And it's disappointing. This was one of the the, the very anticipated first round matchups. Um, and it's not going to be what we thought it was going to be. Uh, I, I think Belgium was the play regardless under any circumstances. Um, okay. And, and now more than ever, and you're right. I know we love, I'm sure everyone and uh, all the people and the broadcast companies will all love the, the win one for the Gipper storyline that you talk about. Um, and that would be great. That's where our minds go. I think it's probably, especially after the loss to Finland, I think it's more human nature um if if one is to subscribe to such things but i think it's more human nature um to now you're kind of you have a free pass to lose uh do you know what i mean so it's it would be great if they all rallied and were like let's do it uh but i i think it's also just as easy if not more likely especially going up against a team like belgium where all the pressure is now off uh because this this tournament is kind of um could, the, the writing could emotionally be on the wall to begin with. Uh, justifiably, I like all understandable, yeah, all, right? Sure. And yeah, and Christian Harrison isn't just, he's not just a captain and the team leader. He really is kind of the key offensively to what they do quite often. Um, so he's not the type of dude that, you know, you lose some leadership, but physically can just be replaced. Uh, that's not the case. That's just a big loss in every single way. So goodness gracious, I will be hoping in my mind that they can pull out the win because that would be a wonderful, beautiful story. I think it's more likely uh, that they lose um, and in Belgium just kind of rolls and the we just kind of, you know, uh, look at Denmark with, with a bit of a sad what if for the yeah. rest of this tournament because – Fair enough. That's a, that's, a, that's a crappy way to start and then you lose to one of the – you know, what's supposed to be one of the worst thing teams in the whole tournament. So hopefully, hopefully they can get motivated with the fact that they're not out of it by any means yet. Um, yeah. You know, that's a, a draw with Belgium or even possibly you lose to Belgium, beat Russia. That could be enough. Yeah. Depending on how well, things it. go. So they're, they're not out of it, but yeah. I just, I just think to expect them to have one of these kind of once in the generation rallies is a lot to ask against this team. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And it's not, yeah. Like you said, three points could very well get them into the next round and that just might happen to come against russia and listen like spoiler alert i'm going to be betting on denmark in that game against russia right and like and i will you know and call it an emotional thing also call it the fact that we're already fading russia pretty heavily in this tournament in general right like all of those things sort of align to have that dramatic moment for denmark happen in the next round that keeps them alive and gets them into the next round side note here Win one for the Gipper. Is that the oldest reference that like everybody still gets? Goodness gracious. If we're talking just sports references, 
man. Yeah, or you, anything. <laughs> you could be on. I'm sure there's got to be some old timey baseball y Babe Ruthian references that that would click to yeah. to also make sense. But that's pretty much it. for the one for ones that still have a little bit of kind of cultural capital and relevance. I think yeah. you got it. Like Ronald Reagan was in that movie, right? Like a pretty <laughs> right? a guy who like a lot of people forget was even president because they were too young to even remember that. Like let alone his acting career, let alone a line from a movie involving you know the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Win one for the Kipper. An incredibly old reference, but we brought it out here. Anyway, um, okay, so next one up, Netherlands and Austria. This is Thursday late afternoon. Um, I'm dying to bet a draw at some point <laughs> here because, you know, I got a lot of money lines, doing some totals, like you said, getting a little loose with some of these overs potentially. Um, Netherlands, Austria, like, and maybe, let me put it this way. You know, Netherlands wins that game three to two, and they were pretty dominant against the Ukraine. But I think the fact that they gave up those two goals had a lot of people sort of rolling their eyes about Netherlands, which, you know, again, is they were the one team out of the eight, the big eight, if you will, that people were like, well, you know, I don't think that much of this team. Uh, you know what? We, we go back to our conversation last week. Um, I, I had confidence that Ukraine or Austria could win this group. Um, and I still do. And that means that the Netherlands would either tie or lose to one of those teams. I still think they yeah. could do that. You can buy them on the draw if you like to. I don't even mind Austria outright in a game like this. Uh, again, yeah. Netherlands is going to be the favorite, more of a favorite than they would have been beforehand. But those two goals they gave up, again, not a good sign. You're not seeing many other big elite teams do that in these games. So, no, it's there, there's no reason to think that uh, they're going to just walk over Austria. I like a draw play in this one, a straight-up draw. It's, again, it's fun because you're always in it, right? You're almost always going to be a goal up or a goal down or sitting there yeah. um, at, at an even scoreline. So that makes a drawback kind of fun. I definitely could see that going this way. And, I, and if the group is going to shape out the way I thought it would, for whatever that's worth, then Netherlands doesn't win this game. So I think it's absolutely fair to look at Austria as a team that could, again, prove so many of the critics right uh, and, and win or draw this game. Well, and you know the other thing? Um, last week, as we were talking about the idea of if everybody, if anybody had Netherlands no, you know, to win the group, like a yes-no prop to win the group, um, how we would say, yeah, bet, bet the no there because you get all of the other three teams, certainly Austria and Ukraine being the two that you thought could <laughs> could knock off the Netherlands. And of course, I go and I make the you know judgment call, if you will, to grab Ukraine, which of course means that Austria is going to be the team that wins this group. But we move on to Friday morning and Sweden and Slovakia. And I think these two teams, you know, they played in kind of two of the weirder games so far, right? Where Sweden just played in their own end the entire time and managed a point. Whereas Slovakia had the sort of bonus element of a guy getting a red card against them and they got to play 11 on 10 here. So, you know, what am I supposed to make of these two teams now playing against each other? And I mean, the good news is it's kind of a convergence of, uh, you know, my futures here, right? Where it's like, I've got Sweden to finish last. Uh, you know, you recommended and I took it, the Slovakia to advance. And they've got three points already, so it looks like they're going to advance. So I'm just looking to find a way to play this game uh, that, you know, lends itself to that. And I, and I don't know if that necessarily means, you know, Slovakia money line or whether it's a draw no bet or a double chance type situation. Um, you know, how do you feel about this matchup? And it's tough to get a good grasp on what either of these teams are like after that first game, right? Because you get one team yeah. that wins, but they get to kind of play that last half hour a man up. Um, uh, but they, they took advantage of it. So good for them, right? So so Slovakia looked good. They, they looked pretty good when it was even strength. Even strength, I say. Uh, Sweden, hmm. and it's tough to see. Like, Sweden didn't show me anything, but they were also playing a team that I don't care who we are. Spain is going to have the ball the whole time, right? So that they didn't lose that game is pretty much the best thing you can say about Sweden. And maybe we'll have to watch a little more of the Spain team over the next two games to realize if that was a, a great feat by Sweden. Or again, if it was like when I, when I expressed my disappointment with Spain off the top about not being able to finish because it's like Sweden was going to play that spot, that style against Spain and only Spain. 
because that's what Spain does. So it's really tough to get a grasp on how good they really were in that game. That they only created a couple chances and they were real legit chances and they, they possibly should have scored a couple goals. That That's pretty good for Sweden, right? So Slovakia is going to be more direct. They're probably going to create better chances than Spain even did because of that. And I think they may get one by. But again, Sweden holding Spain to nothing. I, I put that on Spain, but this tournament could go on and Spain could get a bunch of goals, and we look back and be like, wow, Sweden was really good defensively. So because of that, honestly, the one bet I like of the one ones you mentioned is the under. I think if these two teams combine mm-hmm. to score three goals, I'll be fairly surprised. Uh, so I think Sweden looks strong defensively. Slovakia, you know, they put two in the first game, one of them with the other team with 10 men. I don't know if they do that necessarily again. I think a one nothing either way, I'm going to lean towards Slovakia is the way this game will go. Okay, um, so uh, one thing we got to ask you before you go, and then you got to go. So um, Croatia, England, we didn't talk about that game. You know, they've got two games obviously going up against the other teams in that group. Um, you know, England's your squad here. Uh, are you feeling good about them? Is anything crazy going to happen against Scotland? And I'm looking to back Croatia here, plus 110 on the money line against the Czech Republic. Is there anything from that game against England that would suggest that I shouldn't do that? Um, you know, sort of a two for one here, uh, that England Croatia game. What do you take away from that going forward? Honestly, just the England had a good game plan. They stuck to it the whole time. It was nice to see. Uh, there weren't any gaffes. There weren't any major, major problems out there. That's something they've had issues with in the past. They played a good, organized, smart game the entire time against a good team. In, in when they did that with their game plan, you kind of, you could see their talent, um, kind of rising to the top against another very talented team, but just not the star power that England has. Scotland's fun. Hey, listen, that that Scotland match for like, it was disappointing to see them lose, yeah. especially with a goal from, uh, from the halfway line, which is fairly spectacular. Um, but Scotland's, again, they're going to be a team, just, just like I was mentioning with North Macedonia, they're not going to play like they're a significantly less talented team. They're going to come at you. They're going to come at you, and they're going to try to score goals. Does that bode well for them? No. But this is what right. they're going to do. I think they're going to go down guns a blazing. Uh, I think that game could have some goals in it, and I think it could be a ton of fun. Again, I think it's okay. a shame it's in London instead of uh, instead of Edinburgh, but that's fine. So that's going to be a fun game. England probably wins. Croatia, tough to, tough to know what they really have because England played such a good game against them. I think they're going to prove to be pretty good. I think they still get through, uh, but lots of fun still to come in that group. Okay, so maybe a little value there created with Croatia. I will. Uh, we can skip past, you know, Hungary, France, Portugal, Germany. Hard to handicap that with the games going on today without necessarily knowing. Uh, I did want to allude to one thing here as I let you go. Spain, Poland in this last game, you mentioned off the top, right? Like the idea that Spain gets all these scoring chances, but they don't actually get anything done. I might get loose. I might uh, bet your guy, what is it, Morato? And, uh, and my guy, Farron Torres, my, my young, uh, my hopeful young player of the tournament, I might bet both those guys to score goals against a Polish team that I think is, seems pretty vulnerable defensively. Um, so I think, you know, you were sort of alluding to it early on when you were talking about that. I'm like, yeah, I'll take those guys to actually score this time around. Hopefully they're not just really bad at finishing the way that they looked against Sweden. Yeah, and again, I think I was saying, like, it's, we, we, we did have one technical difficulty in here sometimes as I was just yammering about Sweden at some point. So it's good gracious, no one's subjected to listen to that. But yeah, like Spain set like a passing record for completed passes in their games, which is kind of as damning as it is impressive. At the same time, one of these points, if Spain plays the same kind of game and, and Poland is, is certainly not better from a talent point of view than Sweden is, like, like it's got to bounce off somebody and go in, right? So, yeah, no. Marathas, I don't think he's going to stay off the score sheet the entire time. And the guys like Torres and Danny Almo and these guys, they're, they're going to score some goals. Uh, but it was just disheartening to see a very, very frustrating – this is like an old-school-style Spain game before they figured out how to break through back in like 2008 where Spain would kind of have this reputation of wanting to walk the ball in the net and uh, good gracious, it looked like they wanted to crawl it into the net if they could have in that first one. But yeah, they're going to score. <laughs> got to get a goal and let's hope there's a little more value on them in this next game because uh, there should be. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll get your uh, take offline uh, for Group F 
uh, once we get these games finished up today. Uh, and I'll talk about those on Friday as we get set for the weekend. Ted Valentine, uh, outstanding so far this tournament. Let's keep it rolling, my friend. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Another good round of Soccer Talk with Ted. Tomorrow, Wednesday show, U.S. Open preview. That's happening this week. I know, it's wild. I'm at MRussAuthentic on Twitter. Subscribe, rate, and review, and share the podcast. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.